Welcome to the Rankin Baptist Church Podcast. Please note that all or some of this podcast may have been recorded during our live physical services at Rankin Baptist Church. Therefore, sound quality may be affected in some areas. We hope you enjoy the podcast. So, I'm sure you know what this is. If you're familiar with exercise products, before we go there, you know, this is here for a volunteer, just putting it out there. Before we go to that, can you guess the skill that we're going to be looking at today? So we'll be looking at life skills. Go to the next slide, please. There's a little bit of a hint. There's your other hint. And it's going to come through now as I ask you these questions and ask you to respond. Stand up. Wait for the sentence to finish. Stand up. If you've lost somebody before their time, in other words, it wasn't somebody that you expected to pass through old age, it may have been before their time, accident, illness, but if you've lost somebody in that way, can I ask you to please stand up, somebody that was close to you. Then stand up if you've ever been robbed or you've had something stolen from you. Stand up if you've been character assassinated. Now, I'm not saying people gossiping about you, but people saying stuff, nasty stuff about you with the intention to discredit you and bring harm to your life. Please stand up. Stand up if you have somebody in your family or you personally have struggled with drugs, alcohol, or any form of addiction that's been difficult. Now, if you've already been standing up and you're like, but I it also applies to me. You can put a hand up or two, if there's other things, okay? So you're ready one, and we know that more than one applies to you. All right, now, you can put up another hand. Okay, I hope you're not gonna run out of things, because you can go to feet as well. Put a foot up, other hand up. If somebody has betrayed you, divorced you, broke a promise, said they're gonna do things, went into business, blah, blah, blah. Put the hand up. Okay. You guys are in bad shape. You need therapy. So I'm glad God's word has therapy. Look around you. A lot of messed up people in this church. How did you make it? Just joking. Can you see as you look around you? Adversity, difficulties in life doesn't discriminate. There's no age, there's no race. There's no gender. Adversity in life is the common lot of humanity on earth. Right, now, if you think you know how to use one of these, would you come up and the rest can be seated? Only one person. If you think you know how to use one of these, all right, you need to have been on one of these before. All right, do you think you know how to use one of these? It's pretty easy. Okay. Come all the way up. Don't be scared. It doesn't bite. Come quickly. Come quickly. Show us what you do with this. So zealous, <laughs> just exercise. All right, 
be a little bit more calm, show the people what to do. So, when life deals you a problem, you should just learn how to bounce back. All right, that's the end of the sermon. God bless you, let's have some tea. Now, if somebody that young knows the secret, mm, we as adults, we should look back on the things that have happened and learn to bounce back. So, of course, our skill today is resilience. Not a thing that we use very often, a word, but it means to bounce back. But not just bounce back. How do you bounce back? Do you bounce back better or worse? And of course, we want to look at bouncing back better. Now, our text is going to come from Romans 8.28, and it reads as follows. We know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God works together all things for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. There's a lot of meat in that scripture, if you and I will understand it properly. It's one of those encouraging scriptures. So when we build up resilience, what are some of the things that we need to be aware of if we're going to build resilience? The first thing to be aware of is to be honest about the reality of life. Be honest about the reality of life. Your life, the path that you're going to take, and particularly the path that you want to get uh, by, you want to make progress, it's not going to be straight. It's not going to be smooth. It's not going to be level. You're going to have to go through a detour or two to get to where you're going. You're going to have to climb a hill and you're going to have to get out of a hole, out of a valley. Potholes. <laughs> you're going to have to dodge a couple. The good thing is if you're in Ranfontein, you really practice in the art of dodging potholes. Now you transfer that driving to life. Because you don't have to do that. That is what life is like. You know, be real. As we said, adversity doesn't discriminate. Crises are not going to give you notifications before they arrive. Life is not going to say, hey, next month, beware, problem coming. You're just going to open your door one day and there's going to be a problem. And you're like, what? If somebody had told me, I'd be better prepared. Okay. Are you ready? The chance are good there's going to be a problem in your life at some point in time. Boom. There you are. Serve notice. The question is, when it arrives, what are you going to do with it? You're going to grow from it? Or you're going to allow it to break you down? Resilience means that we face everything that is common to everybody, but we bounce back. So that's why the skill is so important, because you and I get to face challenges, but we need to have a, have a settled conviction that whatever comes my way, I have the ability to bounce back, because that's what God does. Good things happen to good people. Amen. Bad things happen to good people. Amen. So what is the conclusion? Good and bad things happen to good people. But God will always make sure good 
is the end result, whether it's good or bad. So you and I need to make peace with the reality of life. You know, Job said, when his wife said, curl up and die, curse God. He said, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Should we only take the blessings of God? And when there are problems, we say, oh God, you let one through. I don't think that's fair. Not now, God. Not at this point in my life. I've already got so much stuff going on. And then you let this stuff. No, God, come on. So, don't ask the question, why is this happening? Here's the answer. Because life happens. What, why is this happening? Because life happens. That's the reality. We need to go about with this reality. Instead of having this rose-tinted spectacle outlook on life, everything. Oh, God just blesses his people. They're always happy. People love them. They always have an abundance. They never have problems. You go to church, they're always smiling. That's why I know it's true. No, they're wearing masks. All of you are wearing masks right now. Because we feel that we need to come to church with a mask. How's that going? Fine. <laughs> you sift through. Appropriate responses for a church service. It's fine. God's good. You go and have tea at the best friend. How's it going? Oh, I can let my hair down. Oh, yeah, the week was bad, eh? We had a fight again at home. Oh, so that's reality. Yes. You understand? You don't have to be fake. You don't have to pretend to get it, have it together. Because people don't have it together because they're going through some stuff. And while you're going through it, you're not going to be in the best of moods. You're not going to be happy. You're just going to be normal. You're going to recover. You are going to feel better about the situation, but when it happens, it's going to kind of feel a little bit sad. You know, 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange is happening to you. He says, don't act as if it's something strange. It's the common lot of all people. And when it comes to persecution, that is something unbelievers don't really experience. But it gets introduced into your life when you become a Christian. That and many things. Now, to try to protect yourself is useless. Life is too big for you and you too small. That's it. Life is far bigger than you and I, and we are far too weak. We don't have the resources to cope with life. No matter how much you try and protect yourself, insulate yourself, stuff is still going to get through. Understand? You can have every insurance policy, but the insurance policy is there for the day that stuff happens, meaning stuff is going to happen. And sometimes no insurance policy is going to protect you from some stuff because they're not insurable. So if people betray you, they speak behind your back, where's the insurance policy for that? You can try and be the best friend to everybody. You can never say a bad thing. You remember all their birthdays. You're always giving them gifts when it's not their birthday. You're always the most helpful person at your office. And then somebody will stop say something bad about you. Do you understand? So stop trying to protect yourself from hurt. Just say, you know, when people say bad things about me, 
God already has given me a strategy. He says I'm to bless them, I'm to pray for them. Because he's ultimately going to bring me through those situations. When you have that mindset, you're not scared of the future. You don't walk into the future hoping something doesn't go wrong. So you and I need to develop personal resilience. You know, COVID happened and some people were like, the world is coming to an end. We're all going to die. The economy is going to tank. We're all going to lose our jobs. I just hope half of my family are still left alive at the end of COVID. That is the dread that some people had. Other people were saying, you know, it's here. We're going to get through it. Diseases happen. It just happened to us. You know the percentage of people around the world that have died so far from COVID? Two-fifths of one percent. Two-fifths of one percent. Hardly a statistic to be scared about. If we look at crime statistics, those that's much higher. And yet we're not worried about crime and somebody said COVID and we started to run and hide. It's because we live with this false sense of reality. We'll always be shielded. Nobody will ever get COVID. It won't come to South Africa. We'll just pray COVID out. God said COVID's coming in because you're living out of touch with reality. You know, in the Spanish flu, so the COVID, let's bump it up to 3 million around figure people who've died. In the Spanish flu of 1918 and 1919, 500 million people died. And the population of the world was far smaller. And yet they bounced back. We just had COVID and we're like, oh. They had resilience. At the time of the Spanish flu, there was also World War I. But if you go into Europe, you wouldn't say that there was a World War I and II. Because if you go back there to Europe, you're going to see lovely buildings. You're going to see infrastructure that all works. Why? They bounced back. They said, that was a tough one. Let's clear the rubble and let's start rebuilding again. It shows what can be done with resilience in the life of a human being. So Proverbs 24 verse 10 says, If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Another version of the message says, If you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. You see, all these problems that come our way show is the true strength of our character. How many people can say the right things? God is good. I have faith. God is coming through for me. I will overcome. But you'll never know what you're made of until you have to go through it. That's just the reality. So you and I need to understand that we are stronger than the crisis. Stronger than the crisis. God has given us the ability to rise up from situations. You know, that's what people in the Bible, people of faith, believed. Did you know that some people, our ancestors in the faith, died praying for things that they were not delivered from? And they still prayed. They died undelivered. So Hebrews chapter 1138 says the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. 
Hebrews 11.39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Because God had prepared better things for them. So they were living with this mindset. Regardless of what I get go through on earth, I will persevere. I am determined to come back strong. And if God does not deliver me from my crisis while I'm on earth, that's fine. My final deliverance will come when I see him face to face. But we want God to answer every prayer and make things go smooth for us regarding our earthly affairs, not realizing that this is just life on earth we're going through, but we will be delivered one day. The Bible says there's no more illness, there's no more death, there's no more betrayal, there's no more debt, there's no more sin, there's no more devil in heaven. But you and I need to push through some things on earth and God will give us the capacity. So let's unpack Romans 8.28. Another version says, we know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. Another version, the Amplified says, and we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together for good as a plan for those who love God to those who are called according to his plan and his purpose. You see, it says over there, God works. God is always at work in your life. He may not be working the thing that you want him to work, but he's always there. That's what the Bible says. God is not leaving us to recover on our own. He's not helping us to face our battles on our own. We are never ultimately at the mercy of life. Never alone. We may have to go through those things, but we'll go through them with God. You know, God always draws the line as to what he's allowing in your life. You may not believe that because all you see are the things that manage to get through. But God allowed those things through. There's so much stability in your life because God said of those crises, that's not going to happen today. It's not for her. He's not going to have to deal with that as well. You just back off. I will decide how much he is going to have to cope with. God has drawn a line. That's why if you look back at your life, there's more stability than storm. The problem is all we do is remember the storm and we forget about the stability. We need to get a proper perspective. So we need to start asking the question, where is God in all of this? Well, God is working. Do you need God to tell you what you're doing, what he's doing? Do you need God to tell you when he's going to do it? Or do you want God to allow you to develop faith? You need to make a choice. But if you and I want God to warn us ahead of time, then once it happens, hold us and hug us. And we want God to tell us when it's going to end, how it's going to end, all the different people he's lining up to help us bring that to an end. He's going to say, man, you're a baby. I'm never going to be able to teach you faith. Do you understand? So God is allowing those things to grow. He is at work. You know, by faith, we expect the genius of God to work in all situations. And God has this ingenious way of taking the worst of our problems and turning them on, our, on its head. And the things that we thought were going to destroy us is the very thing that God is using to build us. The very thing the devil said is going to be, that's the last straw. That person is going to collapse when this thing comes through. And then we don't collapse. 
God uses it because he knows how to turn things around. The Bible says of here, he's going to take all things and turn them together for good. So he's working to turn all things. Now all things are obviously the good things, aren't they? The good things help us to celebrate life. But that's not all the things that happens. The other things are bad things. So the Bible says God is not going to just use good things to get you to grow, keep you excited, make you an enthusiastic child of God. God is going to use the bad things and the good things, all things, to help us to grow. We know how good things can be used. They get us excited. So God did it. He's going to do it again. So James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So how come, regardless of all the good happening in our lives, do we start counting when something bad goes wrong? So God is doing good things every day. Okay. How many were mugged on the way to church? How many woke up and there was no water this morning? I know in the rest of the week. This morning, right? How many had a car accident? How many are going home and there's probably a chicken waiting for you or at least something nice waiting for you? How many have a bed to go to? How many have a TV to watch? And we can say yes, 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 yes. Now you want to talk about that stuff, but boy, oh boy, if something goes wrong, we're going to talk about that. Now you see, we're walking around life, rehearsing and repeating only the bad stuff, but there's good stuff every day. Get up in the morning and say, God, I want to thank you for this breakfast. Kellogg's, wheat pigs, pup, jungle oats, muesli, fruit, fruit, bacon and eggs, pancakes stacked this high. Thank you for that. And you say it and you have it every day. You don't have to go to work hungry. You don't have to go to school hungry. Those are things every day. So why not walk around all day thanking God? Then when something bad happens, you get perspective. Oh, that thing happened amidst all the good things of God. Do you understand? Don't let the devil draw your attention and keep your attention on the wrong things that are happening in life. Think about the good friends that you have. Think the good family members you have. Think about the good colleagues that are great to get along with. Think about the parts of your body that are still working. Stop looking at yourself cosmetically. I'm great. So what? You still got hair in your head. There are a lot of bald people that would change places with you. So I'll have a grey head of hair any day. Just give me hair. And you're like, no, I want, I want long, luscious, flowing locks of hair. Be grateful for the people in your family who are still alive. Now, I lost so and so back in 1950-something. I'm still trying to recover. Okay, you guys... You'll help out about the fact that you're still alive. But I really miss that one. Well, if that's going to be your perspective in life, there's no help for you. You chose to focus on the past and not appreciate the people that are still alive. 
So it says God works it together for good. Now, that word together is a very important word to understand. That's why this verse is so important. Together. It's the word that we get our word synergy from. Synergy. So synergy is things working together nicely. Okay, everything is, all the parts, everything is working. So God says, I'm taking bad things and I'm taking good things. I'm putting them in a nice synergy. They're all going to work together and the end result is going to be good. Now, if God was using that recipe and it was just good things, well, there wouldn't be synergy, would there? Because there's still an ingredient missing. So God says, I'm going to take good, but I'm also going to take bad. And when both are in your life, I'm going to use both of them to help you grow. But we want, we want growth without synergy. And it's not going to happen. Now, if God can take bad things, then you and I need to be readily embracing them in our lives. He says he's going to use them for good. Now, that's a general word for good. The end result, of, end result of the synergy will be good. It will work to your advantage. You will grow. It will help you make progress. In actual fact, the thing that you thought was going to be baggage has been the very catalyst to move you on to the next level for good. You know, Job experienced loss after loss after loss. Yet he was resilient in his faith. God gave him back double as a result of his faith. Jacob inherited by sneaky means the rights of firstborn. He went to go and work for his father-in-law and he met his match, Laban, who was even more sneakier than him. So he had his eye on uh, Laban's daughter, the pretty one, and Laban said, sure, bride price, let's not talk cows, what are cows? Seven years, I want seven years of blood, sweat, and tears. He said, fine. So they had the celebration, they had the wedding ceremony. Then in, at the night when it was dark, Laban slipped his other daughter in. And they made passionate love all night long. Did you say that in church? Well, it happened anyway, okay. The next morning, he didn't wake up next to the love of his life. He woke up next to, can I say it, the ugly sister, the older one. Laban said, sorry, I couldn't tell you this before, but our custom here is always to marry our daughters off in the A, in, according to the way in which they're born, the oldest first, second oldest. But you can still have the second one if you're working under seven years, 14 years. Now that's being tricked. Not only did Laban do that, but Laban said, I'm going to pay you something. But he changed Jacob's wages 10 times. I want to pay you this amount. I'm not going to pay you that amount. It's like, it's my father-in-law. We're living here. He's responsible for the roof over our heads. So how can I? You just have to suck it up. You know, if anything went wrong with Laban's flocks, he had to take and pay it out of his own pocket. Imagine that. You're working for a boss. You happen to be on night shift or whatever. Somebody breaks in, holds you up at gunpoint, and the boss says, you've got to pay. That's what happened to him. But he bounced back. And because... He was a man of faith. The 12 tribes of Israel came from him. 
And if he'd given it up, God would have had to skip a generation and wait for somebody else to use. But he was resilient. What about Jesus? No, Jesus, the devil said, I'm going to get you, and I'm going to get you good. I'm going to get you on a cross. The most humiliating, painful way for people to die, I'm going to get you. And Jesus said, I'm going to embrace the cross, because I know what the Father can do with my pain. And what can God do with our pain? Well, he can do anything if we allow him. And that's the point of resilience, is understanding God didn't let it through to break you down. To give you a bad day, month, week, life. God gave it to you because he has faith in your ability to bounce back. Why is resilience so important? Well, if we don't respond correctly, we could be the cause of a crisis in our lives. We can be negatively influenced by the things that happen to us. Long after the incident, we are still trying to work through issues. You could have been through a divorce. You don't trust people again because of the experience. Divorce is ugly, it's very unpleasant, but there have been people who've worked through it. They've learned to trust people again. They've learned to love again. They got married and the second time was better. But if you and I go through something like a divorce and just say, listen, I don't trust people anymore. I, I'm not setting myself up. I was a sucker once, not going to be a sucker twice. You're going to be a better person. Everyone that comes to you excited about the fact that they're getting married, you say, well, I hope it lasts. Because <laughs> like, you're burnt and you're bitter. Somebody says something bad and you're discouraged. It's one thing for people to say something bad about us. But does that have to mean we're depressed for the rest of our lives? Who made us depressed? Not the person who said the thing. We chose that response. And we need to be careful about the reactions that we have to the problems in life. Because not everybody responds properly to the problems in life. Somebody criticizes our efforts and we go into a heap of self-doubt. It's a critic. That's what critics do. They don't appreciate all the good things. They evaluate and sometimes they'll make an error in judgment. Sometimes they will be a little bit harsh in their judgment. You don't have to take it personally. Surely there will be somebody who will say something good. And if all the critics agree, then it's not the critics that's your effort. You need to man up or woman up and realize that maybe I could have done a better job. I was a bit sloppy and people have confirmed what I really suspected, but next time I'm going to do better. Do you understand? But if you and I allow what other people say about our performance to run us down, you will live with self-doubt and you will never attempt something scary in your life. Because you're too shaped by what other people are going to say about you. And you're never going to achieve anything in life big that isn't scary. That you'll fail in your first attempts to get right. There is not a single person that is at the top of their game that didn't fail, 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 learn, 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 fail, fail, fail. Get up, get up, get up and get there. 
There isn't. You can look at the life stories of people who are successful and you'll see that is in their life. You know, after a setback, we can get stronger or we can get harder and we need to know the difference. Getting harder means people put up a shell around them and what they're really doing is they're trying to protect themselves the second time around. But that wall that they put up is not only keeping danger out, but you know what they say about walls? Walls also keep you in. You become a prisoner of your past. You become a, you become a prisoner of your pain. And that wall is not a discriminating wall. It will just keep everything up. Even the good that could be reintroduced into your life, you're putting that wall up and it's keeping that up. So you need to know if you can be flexible, if you can bounce back, if you can trust people again, if you can recover your faith and not put up a wall, that is strength. That is strength. But some people think that being strong is being hard. So I won't trust people. I'm not that naive. I was a fool once. I won't be taken for a ride the second time. That is not being strong. It's being hard. And you and I need to understand, what if we said to ourselves that it is actually a hindrance to our life? That woman over there, Joni Erickson Tada, she was a beautiful young lady who at the age of 16 had full use of her body. She dove into a lake, dived into a lake, knocked her head, severed something in her spinal cord, she almost drowned. She came out a quadriplegic. That means she lost the use of her arms and she lost the use of her legs, just like that. Nothing worked. Only something between. She was literally, you know, she went understandably into a bout of depression. She asked her friends, can you help me kill myself? Because I don't have the ability. If I did have the ability, I'd kill myself. Can you help me commit suicide? Friends said, no, you've got to trust God for this. So with the help of her friends, time healed, her family healed, she was in a good church. God started to slowly turn those things around when she started to look at her situation differently. Instead of seeing herself as a victim of a terrible tragedy, she said, I'm going to be a spokesperson for patience and perseverance. I don't know when God is going to take me home. But I'm going to wait for the day that he takes me to heaven and I know all my facilities will be restored then. But I'm going to show people how to wait. You know, God used that. She wrote her autobiography. Then she wrote another 34 books. She wrote 35 books. She got married. Her and her husband have a worldwide ministry of encouraging people at conferences, people who've gone through things and feel that their life has just come to an end. She started a charity where she gets clapped up, broken wheelchairs. She gets them into prisons. The prisoners fix them and then they give it to people in need. She's done that more than 35,000 times. More than 35,000 people who couldn't afford wheelchairs have it now. And that has made their life a lot easier. She has a beautiful voice. She's produced several CDs. 
She taught herself how to paint with her mouth. So that's the only thing that worked. Her paintings were so good, people buy them. It's all about what you do with your paint. That's what it is. Resilience is all about what you do with your paint. So I want to say, don't give your power away. We can apply that phrase there to so many things in life. Life will bring you problems, but will never take your power away. You always have the power to choose how you're going to respond. You're going to have the power to be positive or negative. You're going to have the power to choose to go back to drink and alcohols and other behavior. You're going to just say this stuff works, I'm at the end, or you can carry on. Don't give the power that God will never let the devil take from you. Don't give it away. So what's good about struggles? Well, everything teaches us and grows us if we're willing to learn the good stuff in life and the bad stuff in life. You know, there's no... There's no substitute for problems to teach us certain things. And if you and I won't go through the school of adversity, you know what they say? The university of adversity. That's the school God puts us through. The university of adversity. There's some modules that you're only going to learn in that university. And it cannot be learned in any other way. And one of the things you're going to learn is you're going to learn things about yourself. That the good times have not really brought to the fore. You know, God anointed David as king. And he says, you're not ready to be king. If you want to be king, you need a battle. And I'm not going to put you in place of a prince. I'm going to put you a king. So you need not any battle you need like the biggest battle of your life. And I'm not going to give you any adversary. I'm going to give you the biggest, baddest adversary that there is. And God chose Goliath, the biggest, baddest enemy. And he said to David, you're not going up against Goliath with an army and they're going to have an army. No, it's going to be you versus him. Boom. And God says, I see a king in you. But I'm going to need you to face Goliath. For you to know what you're capable of. It wasn't the anointing and the promise that made him king. It was Goliath and that battle that projected him from the anointing into the path of success. The devil has developed the skill of using our pain to his advantage. Even the things that the devil didn't cause, he waits for those moments to use to his advantage. Some of the problems in our lives we caused. You honest, you caused them. If you learn from it, we won't have to repeat it. But the devil takes advantage of it for his purposes. Now, wouldn't it be good? That you and I could go through those same things and learn what the devil knows. To use those things to our advantage. Not even the devil can be a master teacher for the right lessons. Isn't that amazing? Let's go to Buster 
Don't do this. That's his mom over there. Buster Douglas, you may not know of him. Okay, world heavyweight champion. But what was going to take him to his championship was Mike Tyson. You know what? Have you seen Mike Tyson? He's basically a brick. Okay, he's basically a brick. You don't get into a ring with a man, you get into a ring with this brick. Mike Tyson had 37 knockouts. We're not talking about wins. Means he knocks the man out. Five of them happened within 39 seconds. The shortest bout was 30 seconds. I mean, the guy, he let the guy dance around the ring. One, two, okay, I'm gonna knock you out. Boom. It's like, can I get my money back? I was expecting a match, not a slaughter. But the time Buster Douglas got into the ring, the next opponent was going to be Evander Holyfield. Evander Holyfield beat Mike Tyson. But Mike Tyson said, let me take this match on. It's going to be a good preparation for Evander Holyfield. And I'm going to give this guy. So he took it a little bit lightly and he was a bit cocky at the beginning. Well, the odds were stacked against Buster Douglas. 42 to 1. Basically, nobody wanted to bet on him. Guess what happened? He got into the ring and predictably go to the next slide. He did get knocked down. But even something worse, I forgot to tell you, happened before he got into the ring. He lost his mother three weeks before the fight. She died. And she was young, she was 46. She had been ill, but nobody anticipated. His mother was worried with him getting into the ring. So I'm worried about my son getting against Mike Tyson, but I believe he's going to beat him anyway. Now, of course, a mother would say that. <laughs> People ask him, listen, you just lost your mother. You're not going to be in the right state of mind to go and fight Mike Tyson. Even if your mother had not died, he's a, he's a big, bad opponent. He said, no, I'm going to. I'm going to fight him. You know, he would go and he would fight, he would train. He would come to his locker room and often he would just put, after that session, put a towel over his head and he would just sit there. And people were thinking, you know, he's given his all in the training. He just needs a bit of time to recover. One day his coach went up to him, pulled the towel off his head and he found that he was actually weeping. He was grieving for his mother, but he realized to get ready, he still needed to get up and fight. While his mother's funeral service was just three or four days before the fight. So he buried his mom, got on a flight, went to Tokyo and faced Mike Tyson. In the eighth round, that's him. Mike Tyson knocked him down. He almost headed to the 10 count, but he got up. He said there was something, it's like his mother was saying, get up, get up, you can beat him. The next round, the ninth round, things changed a little bit. He won the round on points. And the next round, he beat Mike Tyson. Show the photo. He became the first man in boxing history to knock Mike Tyson out. But if you looked at what the man had just been through, you would never have guessed it. What made that become a reality? It was resilience. Resilience. You know what Mike Tyson said? It wasn't just Buster Douglas that is taking a lesson home. This is what Mike Tyson said about that fight.
He said, I needed that fight to make me a better person and a better fighter. Now I have a broader perspective of myself and boxing. He says it was that humiliating defeat by an underdog. I needed that in my life. It's humbled me and it's taught me never going to the ring again being so cocky. Don't underestimate your opponent, any opponent. It taught me a lesson. And of course, Mike Tyson went on to make boxing history. So, do you know that every single one of us is resilient? Every person sitting here is resilient. You live with the possibility of making endless progress, success, growth, advancement, if you will just hold on to resilience. Can I ask you to stand? I want to show you and just in a superficial way tell you how resilient you are. Right now, your body has been fighting probably for the last year, COVID and many other diseases, and you're still alive. Do you know that you're not healthy by accident? Your autoimmune system is working. And the fact that you're not sick means that it's been fighting and is successful. Do you know the devil has a strategic meeting about your life on a regular basis to try and get you to go back and sin, to cry and make you become despondent. And yet you are carrying on. He has a plan to introduce sin into the wrong people into your life. And yet you here you are. He has a plan to try and get you to put your Bible down and stop praying and just collapse in a pool of self-pity. But here you are and you're going on. You know, you probably lost. You've loved and you've lost. You've loved again. Perhaps you've lost. And you loved again, you keep on loving, despite. You know, you're going to work with people, with people who are not the best of friends, not the worst of enemies, but not everybody's rooting for you, but you get up and you make a success of your job every time. Maybe you had money and it ran out. Then you got some more money, that ran out. Then you got more money. And the more money runs out, you keep your capacity to earn more. You don't give up on life. All these are victories and you're just doing that unconsciously. Strong state of your life, you're not even trying. Now imagine that when a problem came, you decided, this time I'm going to try. What could you do if you really, really tried? If you drew on the resilience that God has given you? The reality is you have infinite, untapped, reserved potential. And you've not even dipped into it yet. Life is big and life is bad sometimes. But you need to say to yourself, I'm bigger and better, but in a positive way, and stronger than anything life will bring my way. Because life, I'm not doing life on my own. I'm doing life with God. And my God has an ingenious way of taking the worst things that his children face, turning them on their heads and using that to propel us forward. The only thing is, if you get down, knocked down, just don't stay down. If you feel you've been knocked down and the count is at nine, you just get up before it's ten 
And you'll be amazed at what God can do with that resilience in your life. Amen. Amen. I want you to visit something that you've been wrestling with. I want you to go visit that place. Let's close our eyes. Visit that period, that experience, that challenge, that crisis. I want you to go and apply the resilience of the Holy Spirit to that place. Because not only are you going to do it, you're going to do it well. Not only are you going to do it well, you're going to actually be victorious. The very thing that you prayed out of your life, you're going to say, God, leave it there. Because now I see its purpose. So Father, I want to thank you for the strength that we have in you. You are a victorious God. You've never lost a fight. And you have an incredible way of taking the worst of human conditions and turning them on their heads. Now we realize who we are in you. Use the situation that we've been running for, from and use them to your glory and our advantage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, remember to share it with people you feel may be encouraged by it as well. Also remember, for more resources, to watch our video sermons, or to find out more about Ramsey Baptist Church, visit us online at www.rbathchurch.org.